We'll turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. We'll continue, of course, our study of the Gospel of Luke. And Luke presents Jesus as the perfect man. He is the Son of God, who is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, and the King. We have been seeing the ministry of Christ, most of it, of course, in northern Israel. Last time we saw a turning point. Jesus tells his men, as we said last time, that he's heading to Jerusalem. Why? Because he's going to die. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to pay for the sins of the world. And we realize that Jesus Christ comes as Savior and King. Savior to die on the cross to pay for sins, the King to rule in righteousness and justice. As we study this morning, we're going to see another famous passage. It's called the Transfiguration. It's where Jesus goes on top of that mountain and he's changed. He takes three men with him on top of that mountain and right before their, their eyes he has changed. He shows them what he's going to be like when he comes as the king. He shows them what he's going to be like in the kingdom. And as we look at this passage, there are several things I want you to think about. First of all, let's think about the plan. Let's think about the first and second comings of Christ. We'll talk about that. We'll see the transfiguration where Jesus has changed. We'll see who was with Jesus and what were they talking about while they were up there. And then finally, we see the Father, God, the Father's message to the disciples. There's so much. May we be encouraged and challenged from God's perfect word this morning. Well, here's the question. Why did Jesus Christ come? I mean, he's the Son of God. He's always existed. Why did he come to this earth? Why did he become a human being? Well, really, there's a twofold thing there, and we want to look at it and think about it. He came as the Savior and the King. He came as Savior. He came as King. I want you to think about it. He came as the Savior to die on the cross to pay for the sins of the world. He's going to come as King. In fact, he's getting that idea there to rule in righteousness and justice as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I want you to understand that if you think about it, we'll say he came as the Savior and the King. And understand this twofold purpose ties together with the two comings of Jesus Christ to the earth. Now, I'm making sure I'm saying this clearly so you understand. We're talking about his two comings to the earth, his first coming and his second coming. His first coming, he came to the earth to die. And this ties together with the fact he came as the Savior. The second time he comes to this earth, he comes to reign as the King. And so we see that he came to be the Savior and to be the King. He came the first time to die so he could be the Savior. He comes the second time to reign as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So this morning, we're going to get, as we look at our passage this morning, we get a good look at Jesus as the King. Because he takes three of his men with him, and he takes them on top of this mountain, and he's transfigured before them, and he shows them what he'll be like as the king when he comes as the king of kings and the lord of lords. And the goal, of course, as we study this morning, we'll understand these truths, we'll understand these things about Christ, and we'll also understand some things about the kingdom and the comings. Well, let's begin. Jesus has been ministering in northern Israel. Most of you know that if you've been here on a weekly basis, we, we go through the Bible verse by verse, passage by passage, and we've been studying the Gospel of Luke. When you come to this section, Jesus has been uh, in the northern part of Israel, and he's been showing his authority as the Messiah and the Savior and the King. How has he been doing that? By his words and his works. His words, his message, the message of salvation, the fact that he's the Christ and the Messiah. But his works as well, because he's done his miracles. He showed his authority over nature, over disease, over demons, over death. Even the authority to forgive sins. He's shown who he is. Now last time we saw a change. Jesus told his men that he was going to Jerusalem to be handed over to the religious leaders, to be tried, and then be given over to the Romans to be killed, and then three days later, rise again. He told of his coming death and resurrection. And it was an amazing thing because he'd been talking about the Messiah and the kingdom and everything, and then suddenly he says to them, listen, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'll be handed over to the religious leaders. I'll be tried. I'll be handed over to the Romans. I'll be killed, and I'll rise again on the third day. 
incredible. And we saw at the end of the passage last time that he even challenged his men to be disciples, to follow him. Now, we talked about this. I want to make sure you understand that there is a difference between being a believer and being a disciple. Being a believer costs us absolutely nothing. We put our faith in Jesus Christ as Savior by grace. You have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. So our salvation as a gift doesn't cost us a thing. Anyone who believes in Jesus Christ as Savior has eternal life. But being a disciple costs us. It costs us our lives. That's what Jesus told his men last time. Take up your cross and follow me. And my hope and prayer is that first, number one, that everyone in this room is trusted in Christ as Savior. It's the gift of eternal life. But the second prayer is that a challenge to all of us who know Christ as Savior, that we would be disciples, that our lives would count for Him. Well, last time we looked and we ended, Jesus ended with this statement. Look at verse 27, Luke chapter 9. He says this to His men. But I say to you truthfully, there are some of those standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now, what did he mean? He said some of those men that were with him, and probably he was talking about the twelve. Remember, those were the apostles, twelve men that he had chosen. He was talking, and he said, some of you standing right here will not die, will not taste death until you see the kingdom of God. Well, what could he mean? Because, first of all, they're dead, and the kingdom hasn't come yet. What did he mean? Well, this morning we're going to see what he meant because what he's going to do is take some men with him, go up on the mountain, be transfigured, and show them what he's going to be like in the kingdom. It's very powerful. There's a lot in this passage. Let's break down the the passage for us. First of all, Jesus takes the men with him on the mountain. That's verse 28. We're looking at verses 28 through 36. Then when they get up there, Jesus is transfigured before the men, verses 29, 30, and 31. And then we see Peter's suggestion concerning the booths. That's little tents, little, little places to stay. He makes a suggestion, 32 through 34. And then finally, the message from the Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father basically says something, verses 35 and 36. So there's a powerful, this is a great passage, and we'll see it. Let's go back to that last statement that he made last week. We saw right at the end. Look what he said, verse 27. But I say to you truthfully, there are some of those standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And he's saying to his men, those 12 men, he says, there's some of you are not going to die until you see the kingdom. Now, let's think about this because the kingdom is the time in which Jesus Christ comes to the earth and rules the world. He takes the throne of David. It was a promise by God in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 17. God told David through Nathan the prophet that one day he would have a son that would sit on the throne of Israel forever, that he would be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so there's that promise that Jesus Christ or that the Messiah would sit on the throne and he would rule. Revelation chapter 20 tells us that Jesus Christ will come to this earth and he will rule for a thousand years on this earth. We call it the millennium because that means a thousand. It's the millennial kingdom which Jesus Christ does that. Well, uh, it's going to happen, and that's what we see from the Scripture, the promise. Now, I want you to understand that. But what does Jesus mean when he says, I'm gonna, you're not going to die until you see the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom hadn't come because these men died a long time ago. But what we're realizing is he's going to take them on top of that mountain. He's going to be changed. They will see his glory as the king, what he looks like as the king of kings and lord of lords. Now, I want you to think about the kingdom and the promise for a second. You go all the way back to the beginning where Adam and Eve, and they sinned and they fall short of God's glory. God came to them with a promise. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he promised them a savior. 
the seed of woman who will crush the head of the serpent. So God said, I'm going to send a Savior into the world. Later on, he said the same thing to Abraham, and then Abraham to Isaac, and Isaac to Jacob, and Jacob to Joseph, and Joseph to Judah, and then on up to David. And the same promise was made to David, but something else was added, as I mentioned a while ago. God told David that not only would his son be the Savior, but his son would be the king. And so the promise throughout the Bible is one who's going to come to be the Savior and one who's going to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so we realize that's God's plan. Now, think about this. There would be one who would come and die and pay for sin and rule in righteousness and justice. This ties together with the two comings of Jesus Christ. Now, let me make sure you understand. When I'm talking about the comings of Christ, I'm talking about the comings of Christ to the earth. There are two comings of Christ to the earth. Number one, the first time he came, he came to be born in Bethlehem. We always know that is the Christmas story. Jesus left the glories of heaven, became a human being, so that he could die on the cross and pay for our sins, so he could be the Savior. That's the first coming. Isaiah 53 said he'd be wounded, he'd be bruised, he would be crushed. Our sins would be placed on him. He's called the suffering Savior. That's his first coming. The second coming is he comes to the earth as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He comes to the Mount of Olives. It's an amazing passage in Zechariah 14. He comes to the Mount of Olives. When he lands on the Mount of Olives, it splits in two. Water begins to flow. Fresh water flows into the Dead Sea. And for the first time, Dead Sea has animals, fish in it. And Jesus Christ sets up a kingdom in Jerusalem as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's his second coming. So you understand, first coming, he came to die. The second coming, he comes to reign. The, the reigning, Revelation chapter 19 and 20, talks about ruling for a thousand years. Matthew 24, 25 talks about him coming. Revelation 19, 11 says the heavens open and he comes down to the earth. Psalm 2 says he rules in righteousness and justice. And so what we're going to do is we're going to see that he takes three men with him, goes up on the mountain and says, this is what I'm going to look like as the king. Now think about this. He has just told them that he's going to die. And now he's going to show them that not only is he going to die as the Savior, but he's going to reign as the king. Let's see what happens. Look at verse 28. Some eight days after these sayings, he took along Peter and John and James and went on the mountain to pray. Now about eight days after he made that statement about those guys would not die, some of those guys would not die until they saw the kingdom, he takes with him... Peter and John and James. Now, we call these guys the big three. Let me tell you why. You know that there were a whole bunch of people that followed Jesus. Some believed in him, some didn't. There were about 70-something that we're going to find in chapter 10 that he sends out. There were 12 that he chose that he called apostles. Of those 12, there were three that sometimes call them the inner circle. Peter, James, and John. Because you realize that when they went in and Jairus' daughter, when he raised him from the dead, he only took Peter, James, and John with him. We're going to see later on in the Garden of Gethsemane, when they get there, he takes Peter, James, and John, and they go off with him. And now on this mountain, he takes Peter, James, and John with him and goes up there. So they're sometimes called the inner three or they're in the inner circle. And uh, they're going on the mountain to pray. Notice, some eight days after these sayings, he took along Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Now, that's the purpose as, as they know it. They're going up there to pray. Now, what we know is going to happen is Jesus has told them, you're not going to die until you see the kingdom. He's going to show them the kingdom. He's going to show himself as the king. Now, what mountain did they go on? They're in the northern part of Israel around the Sea of Galilee, and the tallest mountain <clears throat> in that area is a mountain called Mount Hermon. Most people believe that that's the mountain they went on. Look at verse 29. While he was praying, the appearance of his face became different, and his clothing became white and gleaming. Now, Jesus is praying. Let me ask you a question. What are the disciples doing? 
They're supposed to be what? Praying. What are they doing? They're sleeping. Right? Now, have you ever tried to pray and then fall asleep? Well, that's what's happened. Jesus took them up there. He said, let's pray. He's over there praying. They're over there praying. They all fall asleep. While they fall asleep, look what happens. While he was praying, the appearance of his face became different. And his clothes became white and gleaming. Now, his face became different. It began to glow. One of the other gospels says that he turned so white that no detergent could ever get it at white. Just amazing. He was just gleaming. He was glowing. We're seeing the glory of the Lord. And so it says that his face was different. His clothing became white and gleaming. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Jesus Christ left the glories of heaven. He left heaven and became a person. Now, let me ask you this question. I want you to think about it. When, when Jesus Christ came to this earth and walked around, did he look like God? Yes or no? Did he look like God? No, he looked like a person, didn't he? I mean, you realize that Jesus Christ is special and unique because he's called the God-man. 100% God, 100% man. He's the God-man. We call this the hypostatic union in which there's the union of deity and humanity. There's nobody else like him. Because Jesus Christ is actually the God-man. Now, Philippians says, He left the glories of heaven, emptied himself, and became a human being. What does that mean? So I've got some questions I want you to think about. Number one... Uh, that's not it. If you can go back a couple... Here's number one. Did Jesus cease being God when he came to the earth? The answer is no. He is the Son of God. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. He called himself the Son of God. So he never ceased being God. Question number two. Did Jesus give up his power as God when he came to the earth? The answer is no. Because he forgave sin. He healed. He raised the dead. He did all of these things. Third question. Did Jesus veil his power and glory? And the answer is yes. Because, see, when they saw him, he looked like a person. He looked like a normal person. And what he's going to do on this mountain is he's going to lift the veil and they're going to see his power and glory as the king. Now, he did it at one, uh, one other time that we know for sure. Do you remember in the garden, this was later on, but in the garden of Gethsemane, when they came to arrest Jesus, there was Jesus, and they all came up with clubs and swords and torches, and they said, that Jesus stepped out of the crowd, out of his men, and said, Who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And you remember what he said? He said, I am, which is the name of God. He went, I am. And it says, they all took steps backward and put their faces to the ground. He unveiled his glory just for a second. On the Mount of Transfiguration, he unveils his glory so these men can see him as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Wow. So what happened? Look what happened. Now, just think about this. this he's changing, and behold, two men were talking with him, and they were Moses and Elijah. Two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. Now, think about it. If you start thinking about the Old Testament, you would say, there's some great people. I mean, if you think Jewish, you think, well, there's Abraham, and then, there, of course, there's Moses, there's David, Elijah, Elisha, I mean, Isaiah. There's all these names, but two names stand out here, Moses and Elijah. Now, why are these two with Jesus? Because it says the two men were talking with him, and they were Moses and Elijah. The first question you have, wouldn't you like to know what they were talking about? I mean, wouldn't you like to have been there and kind of go, yeah, that's okay, y'all keep talking, I'm just going to stand over here. I just want to listen. I'm like, what are these guys talking about? That's Moses and Elijah and Jesus. I mean, what are the guys doing while this is going on? They're asleep. Sometimes we sleep through some great things. 
And so it says there's Moses and Elijah. Now, why Moses and Elijah? Well, people have speculated, why these two? Some say this, because Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And most of the time when the Jewish person would talk about the Old Testament, they would call it the law and the prophets. And Moses wrote the law, and Elijah was the great prophet. And so some people think it's Moses and Elijah there showing how Jesus is about to fulfill the Old Testament and all the promises of the Messiah. There's a second view, something you may not have thought about. You realize that, that, that when the kingdom comes and we come into the kingdom of Jesus Christ, there are going to be two, group, two kinds of people. There are going to be those people who died physically and were raised from the dead. And then there's going to be one whole generation of believers who never die. When Jesus Christ comes in the clouds, he takes us out and we're translated. Well, think about it. Moses died and was buried by God, but Elijah never died. He was taken to heaven in a flaming chariot. So some people say it's Moses and Elijah to represent the two kinds of people, those who died physically and those who never die physically, to go into the kingdom. We don't know, but it's Moses and Elijah. Now, I've got a couple of questions. How did they know it was Moses and Elijah? Because in a minute, Peter's going to go, Moses and Elijah. Do you think Jesus said, I'd like you guys to meet Moses? I'd like you guys to meet Elijah? Do you think maybe they had name tags on? I mean, what do you think? You know what I think? I think they knew it was Moses and Elijah. Just like I think when we get to heaven, we're going to know everybody. Because watch what happens. Let's see. Behold, two men, verse 30, were talking with him, and they were Moses and Elijah, who, appearing in glory, now we're going to find out what they were talking about, were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. What were they talking about? His departure. They were talking about the fact that, that he was fixing to go to Jerusalem, he was going to die on the cross, he was going to pay for sin, he was going to be buried and rise again, walk on the earth, and then ascend back to the Father. See, that's the first coming. The first coming was he came to die, to die on the cross, pay for sin, rise again, and then go back to be with the Father. Because then later he's going to come a second time as the king. And so they're standing there talking about his departure. It says they were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So realize that the first time Jesus came to this earth, we always think about it as the Christmas story. He was born as a baby, born in Bethlehem, grew up 12 years old, then 30 years old, started his ministry. He's about 30 to 30, 30, 32, 33 years old at this time, on the way to Jerusalem for this first coming to die for us, to pay for our sins. And Moses and Elijah are saying, we've been waiting for this for the whole Old Testament. They have. From Adam and Eve to Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Judah, to David, to Moses, to Elijah, to Elisha, to Isaiah. They've all been waiting for Jesus to come and die for sins, to pay the penalty. And so they're talking with him about this, about what he was about to accomplish. Now what happens? What's Peter and the rest of the guys doing? They're asleep. They're missing one of the greatest events in all of history. Moses and Elijah and Jesus together talking about the death of the Messiah and his payment for sin. Look what happens. Now, Peter and his companions had been overcome with sleep. But when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. Now, watch what happened. They had been asleep. They were missing out. And then they wake up. And when they wake up, it says literally they had been overcome with sleep. They were heavy with sleep. And now they're fully awake. And what do they do? They see his 
glory. You remember we talked about veiling His glory? Look at this right here. They saw His glory as the King. In fact, one day we're going to see His glory. They're standing there and they see Him at the glory as the King. And of course they see Moses and Elijah as well. Titus tells us we're looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our Savior. Matthew 25, 31 says, When He comes in His glory and sits on His glorious throne. One of these days we're going to see His glory because when He comes and He sets up the kingdom and we rule with Him for a thousand years as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, He sits on His glorious throne in Jerusalem and we will see Him as the King. Peter, James, and John are seeing it right there on the top of that mountain. They're seeing His glory. One day we will see it. He is the one who dies and rises again and pays for sin, first coming. He's the one who rules in righteousness and justice as King, second coming. Well, what does Peter do? And you know, Peter's an amazing guy. He, he talks. He talks a lot. We know that a lot of times Peter just says things, and a lot of times he's wrong. Sometimes he's right. Most, I hate to say it. Most of the time he's wrong. Well, this time he's wrong. Watch what he does. As they were leaving, and, and as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. You think? You think it'd be good to be there? It's good for us to be here. Let's make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah not realizing what he was saying. Well, they're, they're watching, and all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah are walking away. And Peter says, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is too good. This is too... Hold it, master, master. And this is a special word that Luke uses. It means a high position authority. He's seeing Jesus as the king. And he says, wait a minute, this is good. This is good to be here. I want you to understand, it is good to be in the kingdom. You want to be in the kingdom. You want to be with Jesus Christ when He rules in this world for a thousand years and then after that there will be a judgment and new heavens and a new earth and then an eternal kingdom with Jesus Christ. You want to be in that. The only way you can be in it is by faith in Christ. You believe in Jesus as your Savior. He gives you eternal life and you'll be with Him forever. Peter's right. It is good to be here. He says, let's make some tents. Let's make some tabernacles. Tabernacles meant little booths, little places to stay. And let's make one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And the Bible goes on to say, he didn't realize what he was saying. See, the truth is, Peter wants to stay on top of the mountain. It's more fun on top of the mountain than in the valley. Because see, in, on top of the mountain is the kingdom. They're resting. Down in the valley is the work. And see, they can't stay on top of the mountain. Because see, what Jesus is going to do is take them back down off the mountain, then He's going to leave and leave them to carry on the work and to leave us to carry on the work. We're not in the kingdom. This is not the kingdom. And so Peter said, Master, it's good for us to be... Let's get these little booze, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Why would he say that? Why would he talk about making a little booze? Well, I want you to understand, one of the Feasts of Israel, in fact, the seventh Feast of Israel that goes every year is called the Feast of Tabernacles, which the word tabernacle means booth. And what the Jewish people would do, they would build these little lean-tos, these little booths, and they would stay in them for eight days. It was a celebration. It reminded them of two things. Number one, they thought back how when God would bring the nation of Israel out of Egypt and they wandered in the wilderness for those 40 years, how God took care of them and they had little places to stay. It also was a foreshadow. They were thinking of the time which the king would come and they would be in the kingdom with the Messiah. So Peter's saying, this is the kingdom. Let's just stay here. Let's make the booze. This is what we've been waiting for. You can't stay on top of the mountain until the king comes as the king. This is his first coming. He's coming as the Savior. He will come a second time as the king, and then you can build a booth and you can stay there. That's what's going to happen. 
He didn't know what he was saying. See, we all want to be in the kingdom with Jesus Christ. That thousand-year reign, it's just not the time. Do you realize that after Jesus died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again, walked on the earth for 40 days, on that 40th day, as Jesus was teaching his men, you know what question they asked him? They said, is it now time for the kingdom? And he said, no, it's not for you to know those times. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the othermost parts of the earth. He gave them the commission. See, that's what they're waiting for, the kingdom. So Peter says, I think this will be a great idea. Why don't we just build a little booth and stay here, not realizing what he was saying. Well, God the Father is going to come to straighten everything out. Make sure they understand. Look at verse 34. While he was saying this, a cloud formed and began to overshadow them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Now, here's God the Father coming. You know, the cloud, if you remember, the presence of God, especially in the Old Testament, it was a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. That was how he made his presence known. It was with the tabernacle. It was with the nation of Israel. And so here, and it's called the Shekinah glory of God. That's what it's called. Here comes the glory of the Heavenly Father, and it comes, and this cloud comes and overshadows them, kind of just takes them in, and it says they were afraid... As they entered the cloud. They didn't know what was happening. And then they heard a voice. Notice. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. This is the father speaking. He said, This is my son. That's Jesus, the son of God, the perfect son of God, left the glories of heaven to become a person, the God man. He calls him my chosen one. Now, that means the anointed one. That's the, same, that's the same aspect of being the Christ, the Messiah. He's the one that God chose, going all the way back to says, this is the one that's the seed of woman, the seed of Abraham, the, the son of David, the king and the Savior. This is the one. The Father is saying, my son Jesus is the Savior and the king. My chosen one. And then listen to what he says. Listen. Listen to him. You know what he's saying? Do what he says. What's he going to tell him to do? He's going to tell them to go into all the world with the message. He's going to go tell them to make disciples. He's going to tell them to give the good news message of how Jesus died and rose again and pays for sin and gives eternal life. And he's coming again as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He, the Father said, just listen to him. Do what he tells you to do. That's the same for us. We're to go into this world with the message of Jesus Christ. And there's so many people that think you have to be good to go to heaven or try to live a good life or do good works or all these things. We know that salvation is a gift. By grace you're saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone could ever boast. Salvation is a gift, and it's simply by faith. Well, watch what happens. Right after the Father said that to him, and you know, this is not the first time the Father came. You remember when Jesus was being baptized. When John the Baptist baptized Jesus, when Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens opened, the Holy Spirit came down like a dove and stayed on Jesus, and then a voice out of heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. So the Father has spoken several times, and here he is talking to these three on top of the hill, top of the mountain, saying, This is my Son, my chosen one. Uh, listen to him. What happened? And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. Now, that means is when they looked up, Moses and Elijah was gone, the cloud was gone, and the only one there was Jesus. And they kept silent and reported to no one in those days any of the things which they had seen. Now, the other Gospels tell us what happened. Jesus told them, he turned to them and said, Do not tell anyone anything you saw 
until after I have been raised from the dead. Luke doesn't tell us that. He just says they didn't tell anybody. But the other Gospels tell us Jesus told them, don't you tell anybody until I'm raised from the dead. They never forgot this event. Later on when John wrote his Gospel, the Gospel of John, in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, And we beheld His glory, the glory of the Father, full of grace and truth. He saw it. Peter, when he wrote his book, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16, 17, and 18. Don't turn there. Listen to what Peter wrote. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, we didn't make this up. We want to, we want to tell you about the coming of Jesus. We were eyewitnesses of His majesty. He said, we saw Him as the King. For when He received honor and glory from the Father, and He talks about how the Father spoke to Him, He said, we heard this from heaven when we were with Him on the holy mountain. Peter wrote later, I saw Jesus as the King. I heard the Father speak to Him. I've seen Him as the King. They saw His glory. And Jesus Christ one day was going to come as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And all of us who know Christ as Savior, He came the first time to die, our Savior. He will come the second time to reign as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. What have we seen this morning? Well, we saw that Jesus made a promise that some of them would not die till they saw the kingdom. Jesus then took Peter and James and John and took them on the mountain. He was transfigured before them. That means He was changed. By the way, I didn't really go over that word, but the word for transfigured, it's not in this passage, but the Gospel of Matthew says Jesus was transfigured. It's a Greek word, metamorphose. We get metamorphosis from it. It means being changed from the inside out. And Jesus was changed. He was showing what He was really like. And so He was on that mountain. He was transfigured before them. They saw his glory as the king. Moses and Elijah were there talking about his coming death and resurrection and then going back to his father. Peter said, I think it would be a great idea to stay here. But the, but the father said, no, no, no. Listen to him. He's my chosen one. And Jesus said, after it's over, don't tell anybody until after I die and rise again. Let me give you some applications from the passage. Number one, understand that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, which means he is the Savior and the King. He's both. He is the chosen one of God, the anointed one, the chosen one by the Father, the one sent in the world as the Savior and the King. With that in mind, A, understand the two comings of Christ to the earth. Now understand this. It fits together. Number one, first time He came, He came to die and rise again to pay for sin. He's the Savior. The second time He comes, He comes to rule as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So understand that. Now let me explain something to you because sometimes people get confused. When we're talking about the comings of Christ to the earth, we're not talking about the rapture. We all know that someday Jesus will come in the clouds and we, the church, will be taken off the face of the earth. That's not the first coming or the second coming. That's not a coming to the earth. That's a coming in the clouds. The Bible says that He'll come in the clouds and the dead will Christ rise first. We who are alive and remain to be caught up together with Him. So we're not talking about that. We're talking about the first time he came to the earth as the king, as the savior to die on the cross and pay for sin. The second time he comes to the earth, he comes as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So put that together. Have an understanding of how that fits. The very next event is the rapture. Jesus could come in the clouds any second, take us off the face of the earth, and we're gone. After that, there'll be a tribulation time period, and then he's going to come back as the king. That's the second coming. That's what he's talking about here. So understand that. Harry Ironside said this. He said, when he returns, he will not come back as a baby, but as the glorified king descending from heaven. B, trust 
Christ as Savior. If he is the Savior and the King, trust Jesus Christ as Savior. He died on the cross. He paid for sin. He rose again. He is the Savior of the world. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. My hope and prayer is this, that every one of you in this room, if somebody were to say to you, if you died, would you go to heaven, that all of you would say yes. And if somebody said why, you'd say because I have put my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior. I understood he died for me, paid for sin, and rose again. He is my Savior, and I've trusted in him and him alone. It is that simple. It is not going to church. It is not being good. It is not being righteous. not turning away from things. It is not making a public profession. It is simply faith in Christ, and he gives you eternal life. I hope and pray that every one of you, if you've, if you've never trusted Christ where you're sitting right now, you can believe that Jesus is your Savior by the authority of the Scripture. That moment you believe in Him as your Savior, you are saved forever. It is by grace you're saved through faith. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through Him and by faith. Third thing here, see, obey Christ as we await the kingdom. Now, this is for the believers, all of us who know Christ as Savior. What did the Father say to us? He said, listen to Him, obey Him, do what He says. We're to make disciples. We're to go lead people to Christ and train them and equip them because one day when we stand before Him, we get ready to rule with Him. We want to hear Him say, well done. Now, I've got something for you. You realize that Jesus was transfigured on that mountain. Paul uses that same term for us. In Romans chapter 12, when he says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living and holy sacrifices, he challenges us to live for Christ. And then he says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word transformed is the same word as transfigured. It's metamorphosis. He's saying you be changed from the inside out. You live outwardly what you're really like inside. We're new creations in Christ. And so he says for us to live out who we are. So we can be changed in that sense as well. So let's live for him. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And one day we'll be with him. So may we live for Jesus Christ now, knowing that the first time he came, he came to die and rise again and be the Savior. He will come a second time as the King of kings and the Lord of lords to rule in righteousness and justice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you for these truths. And Lord, we, we thank you that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior and the King. And Lord, may we understand how that fits together, that he's both Savior and King. And the first coming, he came to die as the Savior. The second coming, he comes as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, may we understand that. I hope and pray that everyone in this room has put their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and that they have eternal life. Thank you, Lord, for, for it being by grace, through faith, it's not of ourselves. For you so loved the world that you gave your only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe would not perish but have eternal life. Lord, as we await the King, may we live in such a way that we glorify Him, may we proclaim the good news message, and we look forward to hearing Him saying, well done, good and faithful servant, and we look forward to being in the kingdom with Him as He rules in righteousness and justice. Thank you, Lord, for these truths. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.